Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Vartha Weekly. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to run you through the news and events of the week that was. I am Roshan Karyapa. I have Neerav Kanodra as well here with me to lend you some perspectives on what was important in this past week. Well, we have plenty of news items to cover. We have uh, India at the G20 summit. Also, there was a milestone event: India's first private space flight by the company Skyroute in uh, you know partnership with ISRO. Then we had uh, uh, the businessman Gautam Adani saying that. India will be the second largest economy by 2050. Wow, that seems like a, an ambitious goal. And of course on the sports side uh, we have the FIFA World Cup starting in Qatar uh, today and uh, post the T20 World Cup uh, the BCCI has sacked the senior men's selection committee. And finally catch uh, India's uh, perspective on COP27 that recently happened. So if this is the first time you're joining us uh, we produce uh, episodes on politics, policy and culture. Uh, we put out couple of episodes or more every week do follow us and subscribe to us uh, so you can catch all of these episodes wherever you get them if you are a returning visitor uh, do consider rating us and reviewing us it certainly helps more people discover the podcast well with that out of the way let's get started uh, last week we put out a pretty interesting episode on the midterm elections in the US of course we had our resident election nerd Rohit Jairaman slicing and dicing through the numbers and thinking about you know what uh, what is in store for the democrats and the republicans uh, over the course of the year nirav did you happen to catch the episode uh, just briefly but like i was waiting to actually the election results to come out in completion and it's funny that they're still counting for a few states and uh, for the senate they have like one more runoff right so it is a bit interesting it wasn't a change election so as some people expected that makes the 2024 presidential election even more interesting So yeah and Rohit Jairaman is an election nerd he goes to the numbers episode is definitely worth a listen Yeah so definitely catch that it definitely answers more than a couple of questions what is the way ahead for the republicans is DeSantis uh, uh, the next presidential nominee um, is there a future ahead for uh, a former president Donald Trump uh, and so on by the way I mean Donald Trump is back on Twitter uh he was reinstated after Elon Musk's uh, poll so that should be interesting as well we'll move on to the first piece of news over the past week the 17th G20 summit took place in Bali under the presidency of Indonesia uh the G20 communique echoed prime minister narendra modi's message to russian president vladimir putin underlining that today's era must not be of war in their first meeting in public since the indochina border standoff in 2020 prime minister modi and president xi shook hands and spoke to each other The US opined that uh, India played an essential role in negotiating the G20 declaration. The gavel has been passed and on December 1st India will take over the presidency of the G20. In the coming months India will host more than 200 official meetings and a similar number of engagement groups. Nirav this is an important summit and uh, we had a lot to say and do. Yeah so this G20 was in person it was in Bali up till now the G20 presidency which goes by rotation So uh, was it Indonesia now next is going to be India key absence was obviously Vladimir Putin uh, key presence was actually China's president Xi Jinping uh, she actually attended in person after being in isolation uh, uh, for almost two and a half years right and having not visited other countries easily so that was like the key events on the communique like India has said earlier as well that India stands for peace and this is not an era of war we do not want uh, this kind of escalating to like a world war type of situation and try to resolve whatever boundary disputes are there peacefully between russia and ukraine india has been very opportunistic and india has been criticized by the west because it is buying russian oil it is buying russian wheat as well while india is actually a grain surplus country 
So India is importing Russian wheat and exporting Indian wheat abroad. But India is being opportunistic in this kind of a scenario. But they're saying that yes, we stand for peace despite not voting against Russia in the UN General Assembly, where anyways Russia has a veto, so it doesn't matter. But India has been neutral and continues to be neutral and stand for peace. Moving ahead, like the next year when India is uh, taking over the G20 presidency, 2023 G20, the main meeting will be held in India as well as like 200 smaller meetings between groups. So the slogan is uh, uh, Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam or One Earth, One Family. And uh, also the symbol is the lotus. Uh, there's a lot of criticism from opposition parties that why is BJP choosing lotus as a symbol? But uh, because it's also BJP's uh, election symbol, right? But lotus is India's national flower. And also given the environment, lotus kind of arises from the mud from the dirt and it gives like a beautiful flower. I think it's a nice metaphor for the world. You're going through chaos, but the end result can be beautiful, right? So that is there. And it kind of is like very Indian motif, right? It's used in Indian religious uh, things as well. So it also, the seven petals of the lotus, right? Uh, they are very significant as well. They uh, represent the seven continents, right? So I think it's kind of a very good symbol. Going back in the existing G20, India interacted with like all the world leaders. A couple of positive interactions were with the UK, with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. So one is the India-UK FTA is being worked on. So they spoke about that. Also, there's a program for young professionals where 3000 Indians with uh, advanced degrees will get easier visas every year to the UK. So this is also like a better people to people exchange, allows Indian companies to expand in the UK and vice versa. Also, UK companies can tap through like Indian talent pool. So that is also like a very big positive. And India has interacted with the US while US has been upset with India not taking its side right on the Russia issue where India has chosen to be neutral. I think there was like a very positive interaction with President Joe Biden and India was allowed to frame the community. Right. So where we came out with the statement that this is not an era of war. This is an era of peace. So all in all, it's a positive thing. Expect like a lot more traffic. Uh, my Indonesian friends are telling me that uh, this year due to the G20, there were a lot more people visiting Indonesia, Jakarta and Bali. And so expect all airports to be clogged next year, which is a positive, a lot more flights coming into India. And uh, this is also a great time to showcase any improvements in infrastructure, right? And get infrastructure up and running. So that's also like a very big positive. It's too time to showcase the recent developments in India on the world. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, in more amazing news, on Friday at 11.30 a.m., Indian Space Research Organization, ISRO, kicked off the suborbital rocket Vikram S. built by Skyroot Aerospace from the Satish Dhawan Space Center in Sriharikota, India. The rocket took off at a launch elevation of 80 degrees and azimuth of 100 degrees, achieved an altitude of 89.5 kilometers and a range of 121.2 kilometers, exactly what was planned by Skyroot Aerospace. Paman Chandana, Chief Executive of Skyroot said Friday's launch validated the company's 3D printed solid fuel motor and carbon fiber body. In June, the, the executive had confirmed that the company 3D prints its engines from additive manufacturing facilities in Bangalore and Chennai. Once the demand builds up, uh, Skyroot would also look to build its own 3D printing engine manufacturing facility akin to what Agnikul Cosmos unveiled in July this year. The Minister of State for the Ministries of Science and Technology, Dr. Jitendra Singh, said it is indeed a new beginning, a new dawn. 
or as our team members have put it a new prarambh or beginning in the journey of india's space program it is a major step towards india developing its space ecosystem and emerging in the front line in the community of world nations it's also a turning point in india's startup movement you know i cover indian startup ecosystem quite often uh, on another podcast called the startup operator and often i am asked why are you know uh, why is capital chasing such frivolous ideas as uh, maybe you know quick commerce or you know some other kind of thing right and uh, i always Ten uh, minute food delivery and so on. In fact, I did a episode on that uh, on the non carry podcast uh, last week, and and I always assure them that look, capital will find its way to harder, deeper challenges, and it's already happening, right? Whether it is uh, climate change, whether it is uh, molecular biology and uh, space tech and so on and so forth, right? So private capital will definitely come into these areas once there is certain validation of the technology, once there is validation of the economy and the business uh, economic and the business model and so on, right? Praram in that sense is a milestone. to an event to me because it was a demonstration mission aimed at basically showing people that hey i mean we can take customer payloads into space and so it, it's uh, indeed validated the technology the engine designs and so on and so forth it also carried student made payloads including uh, one by space kids india so kairut is uh, is one of those uh, cutting edge space tech startups that we have along with agnikul and so on and the wonderful thing is that isro has partnered with these folks to help them use their launch facilities and some of the know how the expertise and so on right so which is uh, really amazing so skyroot was started by uh, pawan and bharat who are iit karakpur and iit madras uh, alumni and they had raised a 11 million dollar series a sometime back by folks like mukesh bansal balaji shrinivasan and so on right so so this is uh, this is really positive news i should say right you know considering that the whole space race is heating up right i mean we have the world's billionaires Uh, whether it is uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or uh, Richard Branson, really focused on space, this is going to become a very viable economic field uh, in the next five, ten years itself. Not even in the distant future, right? And and it's going to be real use cases, you know, not things like asteroid mining and so on, which we often hear about. Uh, it could be spectroscopy and uh, so on, right? I mean, things that could impact stuff like uh, you know weather prediction, agriculture, and so on. So so this yes, is satellite television. Correct satellite television as well. This is fantastic stuff. And ISRO, in fact, has been working on a reusable launch vehicle as well. And you know, I was just looking at that wiki page, and it's probably nine or ten companies and countries in the world who have possibly tried to do this, right? You know, we all remember that Falcon Nine launch of SpaceX, and it was just a truly marvelous feat of engineering to see something that big, that fast, and that crazy technical, right? I mean, that, that crazy complicated go up to space and come back, right? So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of d- developments happening. on uh, space we in fact had a couple of scientists from isro on the podcast some time back we will link to that episode and uh, you know uh, those who are interested can check it out but yeah something to be uh, proud of as an indian right nirav yeah absolutely so i think see two major takeaways one is india is opening up to the private sector like the us has and we are having isro which has actually achieved a lot in space and launch satellites for other countries allowing its use of its facilities So the launch from Shri Hari Kota, uh, that's like a very good thing where it's a nice public-private partnership. So that is one thing. And thing number two is this is a new avenue generator for exports that you have other companies, so other countries coming to India to launch their payloads into space. So earlier it was just a domain of USA, ex-Soviet countries, so part of USSR, but like Russia and Kazakhstan has like a very big launching facility and China, right? And now. India is also a part of it. India has launched satellites for Israel in the past, but that was via ISRO. Now you got the private sector coming in as well, and obviously, 
from like weather forecasting, from geo mapping and satellites, the GPS that we use, or even satellite television, right? Live telecasts around the world, all of those things put together, this is, uh, or even like satellite for uh, internet anywhere in the world, right? So there are a lot of use cases coming up and this is opens up a whole new avenue. And it's a great thing that uh, Brilliant Minds are using something for like development of all of human race to the next frontier, right? Into space. So definitely it's very, very exciting. Yeah, amazing. Well, on that optimistic note, delivering a keynote speech on India's path to an economic superpower at the World Congress of Accountants 2022 in Mumbai on Saturday, Gautam Adani said that India is set to become a $30 trillion economy by 2050 and the share of global GDP is likely to exceed 20%. He anticipated that in the next decade, India will start adding trillion dollars to its GDP every 12 to 18 months increasing its attraction as an investment destination. He also added that the economic growth will likely mean India's energy consumption will rise by 400% by 2050 and the company will undertake an unparalleled energy transition to cater for its demand while reaffirming his group's commitment to invest $70 billion in clean energy value chain. Nirav, this is, uh, this is a very bold statement by someone who has a lot of skin in the game. So one is, see, obviously, Gautam Adani is, has to be optimistic the amount that he's investing. And a lot of his business is hitting on future of India, right? Uh, very domestically focused, very uh, large conglomerate into energy and infrastructure. So obviously, he would be expected to talk on the more positive spectrum of, uh, of things, right? But given the fact, India needs like political stability and India needs policies which continue this. So see, we are 28 years away from uh, his prediction in 2050 and if we continue growing at this pace then it should be a no-brainer right uh, he's very wisely kept away uh, who the biggest economy will be so will it be china or the us so see currently china is about five five and a half times india's economy at about 18 trillion india is three and a half trillion uh, you have us at about 25 trillion and then you've got germany japan ahead of us right and now india is uh, the fifth biggest just gone ahead of UK and France, who are sixth and seventh behind us. So definitely India's demographics on its side. India has a lot of low-hanging fruit. So just by sorting out infrastructure, just by sorting out a lot of things, India can go ahead. The great opportunity, obviously, is electric vehicles and uh, transition to green hydrogen. And Gautam Adani, as well as Mukesh Ambani, the two richest men in India, uh, put a lot of money in development of green hydrogen and blue hydrogen, right? And you had a podcast on the transition to hydrogen-based energy. So I think that is like a very critical thing. India right now is like a net importer where India actually imports more than it exports. And Gautam Adani also said that India is going to become a net exporter in the next decade, right? So I think this is very positive. Even if you discount it a bit, saying that Gautam Adani is talking his own book, but all his scenarios are plausible. And uh, I am definitely as bullish as him. Hopefully uh, we get there sooner, right? So it's just like we saw... Uh, so many unicorns coming out of India and mm. you see the growth component while the base might be low the growth component of India is pretty high so absolutely totally echo his thoughts yeah I mean at such a massive scale it's a matter of compounding right I mean someone you know recently reminded me the 10 years after the ABV government fell right and what a massive you know opportunity cost that was right because even at yes. a one or two percent uh, additional growth uh, we would have been uh, very differently placed at this point of time Absolutely. So that's the thing, right? This is contingent on irrespective of which political party, but everybody going for pro-growth policies instead of trying to be pro-redistribution very soon. We cannot, we, India is a poor country. 
we do not have enough to redistribute already right so we have to become a middle income and a rich country before we start thinking about redistribution of wealth so absolutely it's just like we think about it compounded like 1 to 1.5% over 10 years is actually like 25% right so india might have been 25% richer on an aggregate had we had like similar policies continuing for a decade which probably was like somewhat of a lost decade and then we're trying to come out of it after the global financial crisis and finally things are looking up so absolutely well i mean it seems like we can only find positive news on this this week is particularly positive <laughs> which is which is great i mean i hope every week is like this uh, the fifa world cup kicks off today i mean there's an opening uh, group a match between the host qatar and ecuador uh, on sunday the opening ceremony will be at the al bayt stadium 40 kilometers north of doha named and designated after the tents used by nomads in the gulf the al bayt stadium is the furthest venue from central doha but also one of the biggest it's not without controversy uh, since uh, 2010 when uh, qatar was awarded the hosting rights being dubbed as the world cup of controversy is by critics and the internet some of the reasons include that this is the first winter world cup moved from june june july to november december then there is the case of the whole fact of middle east money and corruption allegations and the terrible human rights history of qatar and so on and so forth right nirav irrespective of all of that i'm going to tune out all the noise and watch the world cup right because uh, the world cup comes around once in 4 years and it's just a fantastic uh, display of skill right i mean i'm not a very big football fan but uh, uh, i do make it a point to definitely follow the world cup matches at that i'm going to be rooting for argentina and i hope that you know lionel messi has that last flourish what about you yeah so i think like a couple of predictions i want to make i want to stick my neck out so one is typically the winner of the previous world cup so france in this case crashes out of the group stage <laughs> one of the reasons is because they don't have to play through the qualifying they get an automatic entry they don't play very well as a team they're not as coordinated whereas others have to go through some qualifying tournaments etc so they are already used to playing as a team theme number 2 is latin american countries no longer play very well as a team because all their stars play in europe all the time they don't play together very well so maybe argentina could still win but as you on an average probably latin american teams might not do as well as like kind of their ranking or the expectations are and uh, this is going to be very interesting because as you mentioned like first world cup in the winter nobody has like a real advantage of playing in the middle east we've seen typically whenever it's held in latin america a latin american team is one whenever it's held in europe it's european team is one on an average germany winning in brazil was one of the exceptions so that is also pretty interesting it can throw up a lot of surprises so i would say on the surprises front i am rooting for japan and south korea they over the years kind of like steady incremental progress right they started getting slightly and slightly better and better at football so i think they could pose a couple of like upsets in the group stages and, and uh, i am actually rooting for uh, either spain or germany yeah, my, my bet is you see a european country lift the football world cup but like not a very big football fan i just follow it for the fun and it's a great display of athleticism good sport so absolutely and the time zone also being closer to india and like for singapore the time zone is very convenient so every evening after work we got something to look forward to Yeah absolutely I think uh, the time zone is really such an added advantage this time right I mean hopefully we'll follow all of the matches uh, more closely Moving on, uh, the 27th Conference of Parties or COP ended, and India's announcements last year and this year are now the pillars of its climate leadership. COP26 last year was a watershed moment because of the Prime Minister's announcement of the country's plan to go net zero by 2070. This year's COP27 in Egypt, 
however, will be remembered for the country's path-breaking announcement of a long-term strategy or LTS for low-carbon development. With this, India joins the coveted list of 56 countries that have submitted their LTS. Nirav, you've spoken of Vaibhav before and uh, you know this is a pretty significant uh, step as well. Could you help us understand? See, I think COP26 was the bigger one where India did make the net zero by 2070. Here, what they've said is that right now some countries are being demonized for still using coal, etc. Right? India says 2070 is a long time away. We have a long-term strategy of going and reducing carbon emissions. And also there are technologies such as carbon capture and storage. The CO2 emitted from say a coal power plant is collected, it's separated from the uh, nitrogen and oxygen in the air, in the exhaust. You liquefy it and you store it underground in the mines, right? So from where you kind of mined out coal. So I think that is one technology which India has spoken about. India is like, or India is being open to such technology. So we may not completely phase out coal, but we may have net carbon zero emissions, right? So that is one uh, significant statement. The second one is obviously, it's about a transition, right? It's a transition. It's where we are and where are we going to. As a developing economy, our emissions will still rise till it reaches an inflection point and starts falling. But we need to have intermediary fuels in between. So we will be using carbon-based fuels. Unlike the Western nations, which have been the chief pollutants in the past, they cannot expect emerging economies to reduce emissions immediately. But these carbon emissions right now are paving the way to alternative fuels. So solar, wind, hydrogen, nuclear, etc. Right? So we are going through like a very big transition phase. So we need to have a long-term strategy. See, we have a compass. We know what direction we are going in. There might be a few twists and turns during the way, but we know where we are headed, right? So that's the very clean uh, and clear message from India. It reaffirms our commitment to 2017 net zero, but we are not taking diktats from other countries on how do we get there. We will forge our own path and we will reach there. So absolutely. And then it's another time where India is taking leadership on this whole climate transition as well, standing up for all the other emerging economies. Right. Few of the takeaways of the long-term strategy, India's LTS has prioritized six strategic sectors, electricity, transport, urban, industry, carbon dioxide removal, and forests. Uh, India has also identified finance as a key enabler for its LTS uh, vision. And there's a In Our Lifetime campaign launched by India at uh, COP27. Campaign is a great way to encourage youth to become ambassadors of sustainable lifestyle practices and grow into leaders that lead the way in biodiversity conservation and natural resource management. Well, plenty of good stuff. On maybe, a, I mean, we're, we're probably ending ending on a slightly sour note, I, I suppose. Uh, well, I mean, I, I still think that it's a, maybe it's a hopeful, optimistic uh, note for the future. Uh, the BCCI has chosen to replace the senior men's selection committee led by former Indian fast bowler Chetan Sharma. Some of the reasons uh, believed to have led to the sacking are not being able to have a settled squad allowing eight international captains in just one year, picking KL Rahul after an eight-month hiatus from T20 cricket and more. Nirav, this was on expected lines, but uh, seems like, you know, a complete replacement. I can't remember the last time when the entire selection board was thrown away, right? Yeah, also like, typically this is thrown away right after a tournament. I think BCCI has been like yeah. given like a long leeway where everybody's term ended and the usually like only a few players would be replaced at a time, few selectors. Here the complete throwaway is like kind of like drastic, Thing. thing is, India has done not very well at the 2021 T20 World Cup, which was actually supposed to be in 2020, but was delayed for a year. And now in 2022, this is something where uh, uh, they feel that uh, despite not doing well, we kind of retained eight players 
in the playing 11 from the previous uh, World Cup itself. And uh, probably the selectors, they've been thinking more on the conventional strategies. They're not so well-versed with probably T20. It's, it's kind of a reboot. It's a reset. That we need to think, if something's not working, we need to reset and uh, rethink what the strategy was. Maybe, I think changing the selectors is just like a signal. We are kind of, it is the first step. Maybe more drastic changes will be coming in the team itself. Uh, we might see like a more focused, more T20 team being drastically different from the Test and the ODI teams. Maybe we have like three dif- distinct teams uh, playing three different sports. Only like a few players will be multi-format. So, I don't know. I would like to take it like hopefully that this is a sign of things trying to change for the better. Change for the sake of change does nothing. So, let's wait and watch. I think India has like a huge talent pool playing and it's just surprising why India doesn't win everything. So, hopefully, hopefully this is a step and uh, it's not just something taken out of frustration and sacking the selection committee and we get a new selection committee and everybody just selects the same players and that's no point, right? Yeah. What do you make of... uh... What do you make of this proposal to have three different teams for the three different formats? Because I think we're getting to a point where the skills don't uh, necessarily transfer, right? We've seen England adopt this uh, plan as well, right? I mean, because I think T20 is a different game altogether, right? I mean, it's, it requires a different mindset and skill set also, right? Yeah, so one is mindset, skill set, muscle memory, right? Yeah. For a bowler, the lengths you bowl in T20 very different from what you bowl in test cricket. For a batsman, the stance that you have or the kind of shots you play, the percentage shots, the risky shot that you would like shelve it in uh, test cricket in T20, you have to go for it, right? So I think there's a lot of muscle memory involved, a lot of practice training which goes in, as well as there's a lot of cricket being played. So that is why multi-format players tend to get injured too often. Uh, Bumrah and Ravindra Jadeja are like classic examples who play in every format for India. And unfortunately, they, they were injured, right? So India has the IPL, India has the Sayyid Mushtaq Ali Trophy, and uh, the Vijay Hazare Trophy for 50 over cricket. So I think India could try and look at specialists, even in the domestic sector, people would try, try specializing in one field, which gives them a better shot at being selected to the national team, right? So maybe that is the way forward. Maybe that's the way the sport evolves. I saw a particularly interesting, uh, you know, segment where Wasim Akram and Vakar Yunus, of, of course, the legendary Pakistani fast bowlers, said that you know perhaps uh, you know you may need to cap the pay of uh, some of these young players because you know they're they're making eight ten crores a season in IPL and they don't have that same motivation to play at these international tournaments. While I don't think that is, you know, necessarily true, right? Because an India cap is an India cap, right? I mean, it's the status of legends. What do you think we can do to make the ICC tournaments a little more aspirational? Because over the 8-10 years, I don't think we've won a lot. One is yes. India hasn't won after the 2011 World Cup. India hasn't won one much. But I would say, you know what? This is the same allegation made like in uh, soccer as well. We're having the Football World Cup where you say like a lot of players care more about their club than the country. I think uh, the only way out of this is, say, more prize money in these World Cups. Definitely the viewership is a lot bigger, right? There is more value in the TV rights, bigger prize money, etc. That's at stake. Also, now maybe older traditional stats don't matter as much. Uh, What was, what mattered a lot more, like when, you know, Gavaskar was the highest run scorer in the world, or Kapilde was the highest wicket taker in the world, etc. But I think there is like a lot of pride involved. So I think there's a lot of, maybe media and marketing does need to get in. I don't believe that we need like salary caps. Those kind of things kind of like, you know, uh, they have unintended consequences. I'm a believer in free markets. I believe that sports people are elite athletes and they have a very short career. So they need to make the most of it. 
uh, we have like a large enough pool we have a large viewing population uh, there is enough money in the sport and this is what keeps the sport alive because this keeps a pipeline coming that if one player gets injured we have a like for like replacement for all 11 if required right and india can afford to post like three very dedicated teams we don't have shortage of players so i wouldn't be very inclined on that part uh, maybe vasi makram and vakar yunes like our india selectors are living in the era of 80s and 90s right in a different era where uh, sport wasn't as commercialized but given whatever is the today's uh, day and age uh, maybe you have to move on with the times right well on that note we come to the end of this week's weekly uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in and uh, we have a couple of interesting episodes coming up next week and the week after we have professor salvatore babonis who is of course uh, the man in the live night uh, spoke very eloquently at the india today conclave and has since been uh, a darling of the indian media uh, we're going to talk to him about some of these democracy rankings and how they in his words uh, give india a bum rap do check that out and then also we have uh, the author dr deepthi navratna who's written this book called the maverick maharaja on uh, uh, the mysore raja jaycham rajendra wadiyar so we'll be talking uh, to the author about the significance of the of the book and and, and also i mean the life and times of a very interesting person vivek kaitan will be hosting that uh, podcast uh, shortly so a lot of good content coming up uh, do continue to support us i mean it keeps us motivated inspired to do a lot more thank you again for joining us uh, from nirav and myself uh, stay safe take care and jai hind